Scripture reading this evening, this evening is taken from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created at the delightness of God in true righteousness and holiness. <clears throat> Some time ago, I was looking online. I had to go to Google to uh, find... I had to look up a word. There was some, I can't remember if it was for a lesson or for, for some reason. I was going online to look up a definition of a word. Uh, well, it, it could have been um, maybe after one of Ben's articles. If you haven't read Ben's articles, he's doing a great series right now as he's stepping through each uh, step of the Who Is My Neighbor program. And as you read his article, each time he writes, it's a great kind of overview, okay, of okay, you know, section three or you know, step number four, express yourself. Well, today there was a word, I, and he always uses at least one word in there. I'm like, man, I don't know what that is. And I have to look it up. And, and it may have been for that. Today's word I, could, I didn't get was a, a cumin. Did not, I did not know. I thought, I, at first, I thought that was a spice. I was wrong. Um, <laughs> that is not it. So it may have been for that. It may have been for one of those, or it could have been some other reason. But I was looking online for a definition of a word, and I got trapped. They had this advertisement, and it said, uh, Dictionary.com, word of the day. So, okay, well, I want to see what that is. You know, it's only one word today. I got to see it. Uh, and so I clicked on it, and it just well, and it just had the one word on there. It didn't have the definition. So all I saw was this word right here, uh, pentimento. I said, I have no idea what that word means. And before I clicked on it, I stopped and said, I, I'm a smart guy. I can figure this out. I can break this down, maybe roots and stems, and I can maybe try to figure out what this word means. And let me see if I'm right. You know, a cumin I was wrong on, but this one surely I can get. And so I broke it down. Okay, penta and then minto. So there may be this, maybe, maybe it's um, a pack of, of five, pinto, right? Five mentos. Or maybe <laughs> it, it is a uh, Ford Pinto in a mint color. Or possibly, this is one I really thought on heart. I said, this really might be it. I said, it might be that cheese sandwich that I don't like, and maybe I've just been pronouncing it wrong my whole life. <laughs> Surprisingly, I was wrong in all three counts. Pinamento is, it's a term from the art world. Hannah, is, my wife, Hannah, with her art degree, I'm sure as she, if she'd have seen it, she would have known exactly what it is. But the definition of pinamento goes as, goes as this. A visible trace of earlier painting beneath a layer or layers of paint on a canvas. So what this means, what pinamento actually means, is when a painting, when you see it, uh, you see a trace of a former painting coming through the finished product. As in, say, a painter painted this, you know, you know got a canvas, painted a work of art on it, and said, eh, I don't like how that turned out. Instead of, instead of getting a new canvas, he said, I'll just paint over this one. You won't be able to tell. But when he was done, guess what? You could. You could see the old painting expressing itself, showing through. Or maybe he changed aspects. said, you know, instead of, you know, instead of this image, instead of the color red, I'm going to kind of paint over that. I'm just going to make that splotch. I'm going to make that blue. Well, as many layers as he puts on there, 
the red still shows through. And so that's what pentamento means. It's when something that was formerly there shines through over this new section that's been painted or placed over it. And I think this happens in the life of Peter. I think we can apply this, this is obscure art term uh, to our spiritual lives this evening. And I want to very briefly look in the life of Peter and just show you how this could apply to us before we really get into it. But when we meet Peter, when the Gospels open up, when the first image we have of Peter, before he's the apostle, we have this idea of a very normal, average man. We know at some point, probably at this point, maybe he was either married or gets married later. But he's married, he's working in a fishing business, he's a fisherman. He has a bit of a, uh, a tendency to speak before he thinks. And there's nothing really special about him when we first get to know him. But then he spends three years with Jesus. And he sits at his side at night. And he travels with him during the day. And he sits in the temple, in the synagogues, as Jesus proclaims the good news and expounds on the Old Testament. There's Peter. Day in, day out, year after year after year. And so we have this crude image of just a normal, average man here in the, the beginning of the Gospels. And then by the time you get to the end of the Gospels, or by, by the time you get to Acts, you have a completely different image. The man that stands before the crowd in Acts chapter 2 is not the same man that stood with Jesus on day 1. The man who's preaching to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, the man who's being persecuted in Acts chapter 3 and 4, is not the same. He's been transformed. He has a new image laid over him. But, and as we all know this, Luke chapter 22, there's a period in between where this, act, this, pro, this process of pentamento, the former self showing through, happened. And that's when he denies Jesus. As he's warming his hands over the fire, and the servant girl comes up to him and time and time again asks him, don't you know this man named Jesus? Now, I, I'm pretty sure I saw you with this man named Jesus. Under great stress, Peter defaults to his original image. Peter goes back to the average man that he was before he ever met Jesus. And surrounded in fear, doubt, and stressed out, he denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. That's a process of spiritual pinamento. This former man of Peter Despite all the work Christ had put into him, all the mentoring, the fact that Peter was in the inner circle that was there on the Mount of Transfiguration, that was there closer to him at the garden just days before this, the night before this, despite all the work Christ has put into making Peter a new creation, a new image, a new man, there he is in Luke chapter 22, the former self showing through. You see, I think not Pinamento can be can be in the art world, but I think we can expound it into the spiritual world in the sense that spiritual pinamento, simply put, when our former self shows through the new image we have in Christ. If you have your Bibles, flip over a couple chat over, over, go to Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. We're going to stop a couple times throughout, so if you'd like to read along with me, Ephesians chapter 2, let's start at verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according 
to the prince of the power of the air, of the spear that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the, and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. What, if, what Paul is describing here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-3 through 3, is this former self. He's saying we were all in this spot. Each and every single one of us, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we all had sinned, and we all had fallen short of the glory of God. No matter the fact that we were created in His likeness, you know, since day one, through the process of maturing and living in this world, we had fallen short of God, and we had sinned. And we were so far off, the very first descriptive term Paul uses here in verse 1 is you were dead in your sins. But verse 4, he continues, But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Skip down to verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God pre- prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, describes this very thing that we've been talking about, this former self of Peter in the very beginning of Gospels, transforming from where he was before Christ to after spending after, time after Christ, after the, 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 the mistake he made of dying Christ three times, the repentance he had at the feet of Jesus, and the man we find in Acts chapter 1 through 10 and the rest of his life that we have record of, we see this in Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10. This process, how it happens, the moment that we go from this former self to this new image, we are painted over. I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 when Paul writes that we have been created, we in Christ are a new creation completely. It's not that Jesus takes the canvas that was, our, that was our life and says, you know what, that's red, it needs to be blue, let me paint a little bit over. You know what, I don't like how the position of this looks. He says, no, I'm starting all over. You are no longer attached to this image. I'm on a new canvas. This is now what, this is now what you identify with. You are a new creation. Created, look at verse 10, not only are you, are you his workmanship, you are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now let's flip over to Ephesians chapter 4, the verses that were read tonight. In reference to your former manner of life, lay aside the old self with the, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, that you, may, that you may be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Look back at verse 24. Which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and in holiness. When we go through this process of reconciliation, when we as Christians go and we obey Christ and we walk righteously, live, walking in the light, as John would say in John, 1 John chapter 1, when we are living in God, not only has Christ made us a, a new creation, not only has He made us a, in, in a new image, 
We are modeled after, made to look like, the likeness of God. Talk about a, a fixer-upper. You go from what I look like to be made in Christ's eyes in the image of God. No, I'll tell you, no, no shiplap, no Instagram filter, or anything like that could do this much improvement to one's original state. The fact of what, God, what, what Christ does for us to improve our original position, our original image, to take us from that, and when He's done with us, when, when His workmanship is done, and we resemble God in His eyes through His grace, what an amazing transformation. And that's what makes it so sad. This amazing transformation that we've been given in Christ, what makes it so sad is when we start tearing it down and saying, no, 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 I like that old self better. No, I liked how I was back then. No, I, this is what I'm expected to be. This is the moral standards God has put in my life now, but I liked the ease I walked in formerly. I liked the mindset I had formerly. I liked the actions I was able to do. I liked the attitude I was able to give formerly. And so, Jesus, even though you've created me a whole new creation, I look like God in your eyes, thanks, but no thanks. That's like taking a, a prized piece of art and just ripping it up to shreds or painting over it. It's like if, with me and all my art talent going to the Louvre and finding one of the, the pieces of art that, you know, if we combined all our money, it would be a tenth of. And just me getting my Crayola crayons and going, nah, I don't really like that smile on the Mona Lisa here. I, you know, I'm just going to make it a little bit bigger. When we say, God, I thank you for what you've done in my life. God, I thank you for this new image you've put on me. But it's just too hard to upkeep. I like how it was before. That's a role reversal of huge proportions. Pinamento happens when we let our former selves show through this new image that God has created in our life, that Christ has helped to paint over or paint with that, you know, on a new canvas. And Pinamento happens when we let things agitate us, hold us back. And so the time we have tonight, what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at, okay, if this, if this can happen, if through this process of just living in this world, things that try us, things that aggravate us, some things we're going to look at, that we can look like our former selves, are we able to identify those and maybe try to avoid them? The first one I want to look at is the fact that spiritual pinamento happens when we are stressed out, when we, when we find ourselves in trials. And that's what happened in Peter's life. Peter's default image came out when he was under great distress. When he was warming, his, warming himself over the fire, the threat that, okay, my leader is probably about to be killed. I don't know if I'm going to be killed with him. And he's under great distress. His default self comes out. And why? Because he wasn't prepared. He had not come to terms with that yet. In Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus tells the apostles, listen, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me, beat me, and crucify me. Jesus says, no. Peter comes up to him and says, no, he's the only one brave enough to rebuke Jesus. and says, no, Jesus, don't go to Jerusalem. Or in Matthew 26, when the, arrest, the arresting party comes to gather Jesus, who is the man that you know, reaches out with the sword and cut off Malchus's ear? It's Peter. He never came to terms with this idea that one moment his great leader, Jesus, would be arrested by man, beaten, and crucified. 
And so when it was actually happening, he lost his mind. He lost his footing. A military saying that I've heard before is that when you're under great stress, you don't rise to the occasion. You sink to your training. So train well. Us as Christians, when we're put under great opposition, when we meet some terrible trials of life, we don't need to just hope, well, I hope I'm, able, I hope I'm strong enough. Well, I hope when that happens, I, I have the support around me. I hope when, you know, we're not even preparing for that. And we just hope that when it does, I'll be able to make it through. First Peter, Peter writes this, First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says, Do not be surprised by the trials that are coming your way. Don't act like you didn't know it was coming. Spiritual pentamento happens when we face trials and we're not ready for the thing is, though, we know they're coming. You may be going through one right now. You may be, you know, hurting for a loved one. You may be going through financial stress. You may be going through a, a, a slew of different things. And it might be tempting at times to act like someone who's not a Christian. It might be tempting at times to have the mindset, the attitude, the actions of someone who doesn't know Christ because of the great stress that you're under right now. Remember Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ for good works. What we are made of, we are able to overcome. The time, the energy, the matter that God has put into our lives, we're able to, we're, we're, we're able to overcome what we're facing already. Don't let unexpected trials pull you back to your former self. Flip over to 1 Samuel chapter 13 as we go to our next one. 1 Samuel chapter 13. Another reason that spiritual pinamento can happen. You, I hope someone has a count of how many times I've said that word tonight. You've never heard it until tonight, and now you've heard it 97 times. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 13, we find... Uh, we find an interesting story about King Saul. Let's read, let's start in verse 8. Now Saul waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, and meet, to, to meet him, and to greet him. Let's stop there. In the context of what's going on here, Saul's still a relatively new king when we get to 1 Samuel chapter 13. He's not had this position for very long. And up until this point, he has done an excellent job. You know, Saul, he gets a lot of uh, bad attention for pretty much everything he does from this chapter on, which he deserves. But he did a lot of things right moving up to chapter 13. He's, there's a lot of things we can look to him and say, wow, what a, what a great godly man at that moment. And up until chapter 13, verse 8, Saul was really doing a great job. He had defeated some of Israelites' most historic enemies. He had been working hand-in-hand hand with God. And then it gets to this point where Samuel says, okay, Saul, I need you to go wait in this valley. I need you to wait there for, I need, I need to wait for you to wait there for about seven days. Some enemies are going to be encamping around you, but do not do anything yet, okay? 
Because before you go to war, we have to offer a burnt offering, and I'm the only one that can do that. But I can't be there till Saturday, so you're going to have to wait till Saturday, okay? And Saul says, okay. Sunday, and he, he shows up on Sunday. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday goes by, and he goes, man, I really, I hope he gets here on time. Thursday, Friday, Saturday morning wakes up. Saul, Samuel is still not there. His enemies are encamped around the hills around him. Verse 9 says that some of the Israelite army is starting to flee. They're saying, Saul, Samuel's never coming. We're either going to sit here and be killed in battle, or we're going to run for our lives. And so, so, and so Saul, in his impatience, when he's waiting for Samuel to come and offer this burnt offering, says, you know what, I don't have time for this. I don't have time to wait for this man. I can offer the burnt offering. I know this is God's way, but I can do it too. I can, surely I can offer this offering on the altar here. And so that's what we have happen. And, and of course, as soon as the offering's put on the altar and it's burnt up, here comes Samuel walking in. Let's pick back up. Verse 11. But Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the appointed days, and that the Philistines were assembling, assembling at Michmash, therefore I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not asked the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. You see how he's kind of excusing himself? He said, I had no choice. Our own army was, was leaving my side. The enemies were, you know, encroaching in on us. I had to do this. Look at verse 13. Samuel responded, You have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, for now the Lord will, would have a step. Excuse me. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not endure. Let's stop there. This is the, the fulcrum point. This is where everything shifts to the other side in Saul's life from here on out. If you look at chapter 8 to chapter 13, moving towards this point, man, it, he is, he's going to be the guy. This is going to be the man that God sets his, his, his family on the, the throne of Israel for the rest of eternity. This, is, this was the plan. He was head and shoulders above everybody else when, when Israel finally convinced Samuel to let them have a king and God... Said, you know, said, fine. They said, well, we know the guy. And then this happens. He got impatient on the promises of God and did not trust in his plan, in Samuel's plan, and so he acted foolishly. Impedimento happens. The true image, his former self, even though God had been working this great plan in his life, the former identity of Saul comes out. The real image of what he's like. And from then on out, he makes worse and worse decisions. When we get impatient with the promises God, God has given us, we can, want, we can start to want to change his plans. When we're going through things that we don't know how God is going to help us get through, and we're not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. We're not seeing the silver lining and whatever it may be. And we're growing impatient. And that's when Satan says, you know what? You should act this way. You should, you should speak this way. You should have a mindset of this way. And that former self creeps right back out. And there we are. We don't reflect someone who's been transformed in the image of Jesus, been reconciled to our Father. We look like our former self, the one who lived in the world. 
all because we were impatient with his promises and we did not trust him. Pentimento can, can happen in trials, and it can happen when we grow impatient. And the last one we're going to look at is it can happen when we're angry. Go to Numbers chapter 20 with me for our last passage this evening. Look at verse 1. Then the sons of Israel, the whole congregation, came to the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed at Kadesh. Now Miriam died there and was buried there. Go down to verse 10. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, and he said to them, Listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hands and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came forth abundantly in the congregation and their beast strength. What happens between verse 1 and verse 10 and 11 in this chapter is Moses gets extremely angry at the children of Israel. He just lost someone obviously very close to him. He's already aggravated. He's already upset. And then here comes the children of Israel complaining, whining like they always do. Why did you lead us out here? Did you only take us out of the spoils of Egypt so that we could die in this wilderness? And I'm sure he's not heard that before about 14 times maybe in the past week. And so they're starting to whine to him again. And he goes to God. God gives them direction. But he's so angry at them. He gets so caught up in his anger at the moment that he acts differently than what God, how God had commanded him to do so. And he wrecks everything. God did not punish Israel for this. They still were able to drink. God did not punish other people because of his mistake, but he was punished. Maybe more so than anything else, when we're frustrated about a situation, or when someone angers us, when we become angry with somebody, that's when that former self, that worldly, living for the flesh, living for ourselves, that's when that former image can start to shine through, maybe more so than any, any other time. I remember when I was a kid, uh, my dad, so my dad had a bit of an anger issue. Now, I, I'd like to say, I'd like to admit that his anger with me was probably all justified. But there were times when he would lo- kind of lose his cool and he'd get really aggravated about at somebody. And even, even when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, I realized, okay, eh, maybe this isn't, this isn't that good. I remember I was at a bank one time with my dad, and there was this huge process that had gotten messed up. We had gone all over the place, I think. Our, our car had broken. Something had happened today. He was, it, was in a, it was a bad day, and we're at the bank, and some, and some stuff had gone wrong there, and he got really aggravated. And I just remember thinking, and I just, I, when I, maybe I was 10, 11, just thinking, I was so, you know, not embarrassed, but I knew what my dad was doing was wrong at the time. I knew he was losing his cool. And I think about that time all the time. Because there are moments in my life where I'm at the verge of losing my cool, where I'm getting so aggravated, just like last week I had an issue with my car, the seatbelt seized up. I took it to the, to the dealership, and I spent two hours there drinking really bad coffee. And they got done and said, hey, your seatbelt seized up. I said, oh, okay, thanks. And then I had to wait two more hours to drive. And I was getting so angry at this process, and I was driving all across town in this seized up seatbelt car. And I was getting so mad. And finally, at this one, at this one position, this lady I was, who I was speaking to, Pretty much said, hey, did you know your seatbelt's not working? And I was like, I'm about to lose it, right? This, this is it. And someone tells me, I drove it here, right? I, I, I. And I remember thinking about that time when my dad had lost his cool at that time. 
And that's how I think, that's how my default reaction would be. I think without any training, without any maturing, without the Bible in my life, without good people like you around me in my life, I think my default reaction would have been to get very angry in that moment. But thank goodness for good people, and thank goodness that I've got God's Word in my life that said, no, that's not the right reaction. And we've all ha- we all have things in our life that are, that are specific to you, that frustrate you, that you're tempted by, that, you, that really test your patience, that get you angry maybe quicker than someone else. And that's when Satan's sitting on the edge of his seat saying, okay, this is when their former self is about to shine through. And they're going to see what Jay really looks like here. And when Jay drives off with that Buford Church of Christ bumper sticker, man, they're really going to know what he's like. And that's when we've got to be prepared. And that's when we've got to be ready for that moment. We've got to remember that we are created in his likeness. We, are, we have been formed in the image of God. And that's not how he would respond. That's not how he would act. That's not how he would think. That's not what he would say. And therefore, that's not how we react. We've been given this great gift. We've been formed in the image of God. We are a new creation, a whole new canvas, a beautiful painting put there by the master artist Jesus. And what a shame it is when we sometimes try to tear that off and try to look back at what we used to look like. When spiritual pinamento happens, I hope tonight that we'll be not like Peter. And we'll come, we'll come to terms with the fact that we're going to face trials and we need to be prepared for them. We need to know how we're going to respond. We need to know who we're going to go to in confidence if we need to. We need to know what passages we need to go to comfort us at certain times. I pray tonight that as we leave this room, we're not, we're not like Saul. Is that when we become impatient with God's promises, we act out and we go against God's will. And I pray that we're not like Moses. When other people really frustrate us and we are just at our wits' end, that we lash out. I pray tonight that we stay true to the image that we've been formed in. Tonight, if you're a Christian and you've been dealing with something and it's been a hard walk to not let your former self come back out, it's been a hard time to, to walk the Christian walk and you're a Christian, and you just need your family to be there for you, and you just need some prayers, we, we would love, to, as your family, we want to be there for you, so, let it, so make it known, so that as your brothers and sisters, we can pray for you, and we can hug you. Or maybe you're not a Christian tonight, and after the, the wonderful lesson this morning, and after the study tonight, maybe you're, you're interested in that, and you want to talk some more about that, and you want to look into this, this idea, okay, this is what I'm like now, but man, look what I can become. Look what Christ can do with my life. If you have any reason tonight that we can be there for you at all, I ask that you just come forward as we stand and sing.